They don't trust you, Anakin. They see your future. They know your power will be too strong to control. You must break through the fog of lies the Jedi have created around you. Let me help you to know the subtleties of the Force. Masters and Padawans to episode 262 full of Sith. I am not the Mike Pilot. I'm Brian Young. Uh, Mike Pilot uh, had some things to do with the holiday and uh, couldn't join us this week, but uh, we're joined by uh, Holly Fry. Holly, how's it going? It's going! And everyone's favorite uh, voice of sanity, or at least my favorite voice of sanity, uh, Bobby Roberts is back with us. Uh, which which holiday are we talking about here? Are we talking about the one with the magical rabbit that gives children cavities, or are we talking about the one Jackson? Yeah, or are we talking about the one where uh, normally reputable uh, news sites uh, just crap the bed with garbage jokes? You can hear the air quotes around jokes. Which which of those two holidays are we actually? Wait, uh, well, you're leaving out Kristen Chenoweth Day, but that's a different thing. <laughs> God bless you, Holly Fry, for refocusing us on the bright, beautiful light that is Kristen <laughs> Chenoweth. Thank you. We're going to need to find as much positivity as we can grab hold of and warm ourselves with um, as we continue through this episode. Because this episode is going to be... Um, it's going to be work, isn't it, basically? Yeah. Isn't that the sort of thing you want to open a, an episode with? Like, the listeners just cannot wait to find out that <laughs> that they're in for some work? <laughs> um, I mean, I, I feel like at this point, we shouldn't have to do or shouldn't need to do in Star Wars fandom, like, media literacy 101 sorts of episodes. And, and I'm going to assume full of Sith listeners haven't fallen into this trap, because I believe in all of you deeply. But I would like all of you to have all the ammunition you need to tell people, no, that's a fake story, because we're going to be deconstructing all of the fake news in Star Wars that's come out over the last couple of weeks. And it seems sort of like a weird angle to come at it from. And I was just thinking this the other day as I was brushing my teeth, no lie. There are so many concepts that I know um, plenty of our listeners uh, and plenty of your followers uh have come around on that they've sort of internalized because they learned about it through either Star Wars itself or discussions on Star Wars. On the one hand, using the debunking of really bad reporting in entertainment entertainment media as a means to sort of build yourself a higher level of competency in media literacy sounds frivolous and weird and almost backwards, but it's also probably a really good way to get your feet wet for building a solid set of skills that you can, like with everything else in Star Wars, take out into the real world and apply in places that are much more important that give you a leg up. So I kind of want to start with the Brazilian posters, because this actually has that overlap of the real world and the Star Wars world. You, you both have heard about this, right? Yes. 
In Brazil, the Brazilian Star Wars channel put out a series of solo posters, uh, which is titled Han Solo there. He's not holding a gun. None of the characters in the posters are holding a gun. Someone put that side by side with the Spanish posters, where he is holding a gun. And someone who can't recognize the difference between Spanish and Portuguese said... They've changed all of this. They've scrubbed the guns out of it. Uh, Disney's changing all of this because of pressure from liberal gun activism groups. And it's all uh, a sad reflection of the state of the world and our conversation around guns. Do you want to know who the chief proponent of this wacky theory was? Mm-hmm. Alex Jones. <laughs> I, I want to clarify, Alex Jones is the, uh, <laughs> he's sort of the mildly sunburnt mucus plug with a, a talk radio show called InfoWars that uh, is maybe one of the most disgusting and inaccurate news entertainment programs to have ever been aired at any time in the history of man. Now, because we're going to have a new scale here i'm actually gonna have it made digitally where it's on a scale of goblins you know is it charging into a goblin's nest hacking them to pieces or is it just going you know around the goblins is it kissing goblins even though you still stab them you give them a kiss or is it catching them in bed with a goblin and then the final scale does trump gonna have babies with a goblin and actually help the new world order and turn against us like darth vader is he gonna marry a goblin he is the source of much of the fake news that is plaguing our real landscape. So this was an instance of him sort of infecting Star Wars. So what happened with this is that in Brazil, um, I found there's two possibilities of reasons why they don't have those blasters on the, the Brazilian posters. One answer that I got from from a, a mildly reputable source firsthand there was that uh, it was to make the film appear more family-friendly in that market. And the other answer was that Brazil had stricter laws about what you can depict on a poster the same way you can't have someone smoking or drinking in a poster for a kid's movie here in the United States. And I haven't gotten to the bottom of which of those answers it is, but in any case, uh, there was no change to the poster from Disney or otherwise. This is just how the Brazilian poster always was. That's what Alex Jones is really good at. There are people who watch him specifically because he gives them the feeling that they are in on a secret and they possess knowledge and that knowledge gives them power. What makes him so damaging and so awful uh, a human being is that he can sense, he can see when powerless people are trying to figure out a way to, to be more, to feel like more, and he gives them smoke. He gives them something completely intangible that they're going to reach for and then topple off a ledge, and he's going to be the only person that's going to sell them the ropes, the frayed ropes that can't hold their weight over and over and over again as they stay lodged in his pit of misinformation. Be honorable! Crush the snakes under your feet. Get behind me, Satan. Now, before I go any further, we got to fund this operation. We got the very best nutraceuticals out there. I don't know if I can run this for another week or so. We want to run it through the end of the month, but that's like 11 days. Because I don't want it to sell out before more gets in. X2, the good halogen. 20% off InfoWarsLife.com. InfoWarsLife.com. InfoWarsLife.com.
who would you say is the Star Wars equivalent of Alex Jones? Like Mike He's Zero? one of them. He's absolutely one of them. Uh, the Jar Jar Abrams guy on YouTube, uh, he's definitely one of them as well. He's a huge uh, proponent uh, of cut together stuff out of context to present a narrative that gives you, the viewer, an excuse to keep holding on to your cynical outlook that makes you feel like you are seeing something the rest of the sheeple aren't seeing. Uh, it's not really about self-education. It's not really about knowing what you're talking about. It's about feeling like you've got something over someone else and you deserve to have that feeling. There's a lot of people on YouTube uh, who that's their entire business model. So if they present you the narrative that someone is doing something stupid that you are going to disapprove of, but now you are armed with this disinformation that you trust because it reinforces your unearned sense of superiority. Now that you are armed with this information, you can go forth and you, you know, show people just how good you are at seeing through the BS. Uh, when in fact, all that's happened is you've gotten drowned in it. Uh, and you're just sort of slogging around like Emil and Robocop right now, waiting for a car <laughs> to turn you in, into paint. Um, moving on to those vultures who, are looking for whatever buck they can to package up misinformation. Let's turn to Vulture. <laughs> Did you read this piece, Holly? Mm-hmm. Do you wanna do you wanna recap this piece for us? Oh um no. <laughs> <laughs> well it's I mean it's I really don't know. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, I wanna the... live in my magical world where it doesn't exist. <laughs> The 30,000-foot view of it, I think, is fair to say that Solo is doomed and we should uh, all just kiss Star Wars goodbye now. Is that is that a good summary of it? Yeah, I mean, they're going to cancel the whole series after this. Um. <laughs> That's my, air quotes, hard facts. <laughs> I can't even. <laughs> so this is a piece that, that circulated a lot. Bobby, you're sort of the master of deconstructing all of this stuff in really great and succinct ways. And I love how you went like instantly to, to the mat with these guys. And people noticed, too. It's like a hypochondriac reading WebMD and then trying to figure out how many different <laughs> diagnoses they can fit over their shoulders in the shortest amount of time. That's how a lot of film fans will attack these stories. Vulture, and the reason I went after Vulture like this is because it's Vulture. Normally, Vulture is a place where good reporting happens. I was shocked as hell to see this story on that site. I, I would have figured someone there, some editor there, would have actually asked the person who wrote it, do you know what the policy is at Lucasfilm for, for test screening films? Like that, Just that question. I'll be honest. This whole piece read a lot more to me like something I would read in Forbes or Hollywood Reporter. Yeah. Well, and even, no. No, even Hollywood Reporter wouldn't have let that go out. The combination of ignorant and malicious that that Vulture article was, they've never quite run anything like that. Forbes is different. More often than not, if you click a link at Forbes, what you're reading is a freelancer who is trying to use Forbes's uh, pay structure to earn themselves money. There's a guy at Forbes who is basically a troll. Forbes will pay you for a certain click, and then they will pay you like 2.5 to 3 times more if the next click off that story they submitted goes to one of your previous stories. So there are a couple writers there who have learned if they are loud and obnoxious 
inaccurate, but willing to feed that unearned sense of righteous fury that they can very quickly get people to click their previous story and from there click their previous story and that earns them what would have been like, you know, maybe $5 on a 500 word article, like 45 to $50 on one dude basically just getting ever more upset at the amount of torrential BS falling out of his head. Know that when you read Forbes. More often than not, if you see the phrase Forbes contributor, what that means is that's just someone who wrote a blog, posted it on Forbes, and is hoping to God that enough people share it that they can get $45 for having wasted the, the six hours to crank out the 500 words uh, that you're currently reading. So, Vulture, though, they talk about rumors about this script being unworkable. That's literally something I've never heard. Well, you know, that hack cast, Dan, I mean... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> weird (laughs) like in fact like it's such a weird thing to say because the one thing we've heard about this movie the reason lord and miller got fired is because they weren't sticking to the script and if disney felt that 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 script was unworkable you'd have actually heard about that somewhere outside of this vulture well and that again that goes back to the uh the whole hypochondriac and webmd sort of thing like we saw that happen with rogue one basically people are learning about how films are getting made as they are saying the sky is falling around them. And it sort of suggests that all this learning about the behind-the-scenes stuff isn't actually helping anybody with the enjoyment of their film, and it's certainly not helping them predict how the film is going to turn out in the end anyway. It's a very strange way into the the behind-the-scenes section of your favorite Blu-ray. The behind-the-scenes for a movie, no matter how bad that movie is going to be, is going to be full of people on the inside telling us how great it was. So just yesterday, don't ask me why, because I'm still not sure, I watched the 2000 Dungeons & Dragons film. Don't touch that! Navigate the maze. Escape the dungeons. Ah! Slay the dragons. Dungeons and Dragons rated PG-13 starts Friday. How did we get here from Kristen Chenoweth? It's a long walk. I guess. <laughs> Pack a lunch. <laughs> they actually have a behind the scenes, the EPK from the, from the original release on the Blu-ray. And I watched it, and it's the most fascinating thing to watch all of these people in that that late 90s video filter talking about how hard they worked on this film that was clearly a piece of crap it's much better to watch that stuff after the fact anyway and and paying attention to it during is only going to give you heartburn for the group of people that followed last jedi and then ended up hating it i don't think paying less or more attention to the behind the scenes was going to help them enjoy it more no amount of behind the scenes info or an absence of that info would help anyone enjoy the dungeons and dragons 2000 movie (laughs) so why not just wait for that behind the scenes information after the fact i kind of liken it and come with me this is a little bit of a long walk as well i kind of liken it i like long walks with holly (laughs) are you sure because there's a lot of foul language um usually it's disneyland or something right uh i liken it a little bit to a marriage like have you ever had like that couple that you're friends with where you're like i don't get it but they seem really happy together because no one can really know what like a, a relationship is like on the inside 
And so, and even though you may know those two people really well and they tell you things about like how things go or when they argue or whatever, you still don't know what it's really like to live that reality. And I feel like the same thing is true of the film industry. Like you can talk to 12 people that worked on any given film. And even if they're all pretty much in line in terms of facts, the tone of each of those accounts is going to be different. Like you really can't fully know it unless you're in it. We can get as much information as possible, but like even when I watch you know, any like old Hollywood stories where it is people recounting things that happened prior. I'm always like, I have to put a little filter on it because I know one memories are fallible and two, everybody comes into a project with their own baggage. So they see the whole thing through that lens. Like, I feel like as much behind the scenes stuff as we get, whether it touts a film as great or a bad experience, we're still never getting the real story one way or another. And so what happens is people piece together the little small, I mean, when you consider like a four month shoot and we get like, if we're lucky, 90 minutes of behind the scenes stuff, like we're piecing together a puzzle from like just one corner. You just sort of pointed out the the major flaw, I think, in hawking behind the scenes news before a film has actually come out, which is trying to take these stories and use them as predictors. You can take whatever film you want, the first film that pops into your head right now, and if you had heard that story before the film came out, it wouldn't have changed one iota. Like these They sto- hired this nobody named Irvin Kershner to, to direct this, <laughs> this Star Wars movie? That's insane. Nobody trusts him. Yeah. <laughs> Behind-the-scenes stories work as stories, uh, you know, the documentaries that you watch on these Blu-rays work well because the film stands alone and it's about how they got to that point. Trying to invert that so you can figure out how the film is going to play for you before you see it solely by looking at the stories of how the film got made. I don't know if that works. I don't know if that's ever worked. I don't I don't think it has, but everyone is acting as if that's axiomatic. Like, I can take these news stories that are coming out from Vulture. Um, I can take these chopped together disingenuous videos from this Jar Jar Abrams idiot on YouTube um, and somehow figure out that the movie I'm going to watch is going to be a giant cluster truck. Like, that's not how it works. It's never worked that way. The, the making of a movie is always like a beautiful summation of 50,000 different voices coming together in unison to somehow translate a work of art into something that you enjoy for two hours. If you look at any single individual piece of that out of context, it's going to seem more dramatic, but it's not going to make any more sense. Especially when you've got people talking one at a time, right? Like, this is Bob in accounting's reaction to how this is all going. You know, like, if you look at just one element of Return of the Jedi, the Ewoks, right? You're going to get a different story if you're talking to George Lucas about how their development went versus if you talk to Ralph McQuarrie, who hated them and didn't want to do that. If you go to Ralph McQuarrie and say, so how's this Return of the Jedi movie going? Oh, it's going to fail. These Ewoks are so stupid. You know, versus you going to Lucas and him saying, no, this is great. And if you're only basing it on one source... Right? Like the one guy who's like, man, I can't believe they hired an acting coach for Alden Ironreich. <laughs> yeah. You know, which is totally normal. 
It's absolutely normal. But a lot of people don't know that it's normal because they've never had any interest in finding out how the sausage gets made to that level. It's confirmation bias. That's what we're talking about here. Like they're already sort of unsure about the film. They kind of want to have some information relayed to them that makes them feel confident in their otherwise unsure negative opinion. And so that's when they choose to start learning about how movies get made. And they start looking at all the details that go into that with that sort of jaundiced, you know, side eye. And so something as benign and normal as, you know, script doctoring or reshoots or an acting coach or the fact that the picture isn't locked until like, you know, three or four weeks before release. Those things are normal, run of the mill. Uh, almost every film production runs into that at some point or another to the point where a lot of film productions just basically pre-schedule that out because they know it's going to happen along the way to release. But when you are predisposed to, to looking at the fact that the film even exists with a skeptical eye, when these details start popping up in the news, you take that as an opportunity to stack up ammo. These are now weapons that you can use to lob at the movie to sort of make yourself and you make your presupposition feel a little bit stronger. And this is part of the ammunition that Vulture used to make people feel like there's reason to panic about Solo. One of the other bits that I found most interesting that you kind of pieced together was that there's this revolt of fans against Solo and that the the author from Vulture, his source for that is a piece that he wrote. Yeah. <laughs> That'll happen a lot, too, because a lot of uh, writers, they know if they hyperlink something in a story that you, the reader, will recognize it as being a reference to some other thing that was reported somewhere else, so that way it's reliable. But they also know that 99% of the time, you won't ever actually click that hyperlink, much less read what's behind the hyperlink. So it gives them the air of of having uh, done research and found something to support the claim in the sentence that they're writing without ever actually having done it. In that particular story, what he was linking back to was another story that he just sort of made up out of thin air about how fans are revolting against Solo. Uh, it's that sort of confirmation bias I was just talking about where the mere concept of the film was like, eh, I don't like it. And so you had a couple YouTube personalities, you know, do like a 20 minute video, which in and of itself isn't remarkable. Like, oh, okay, good. A guy who calls himself Angry Joe uh, has decided to weigh in on why he doesn't feel a a Han Solo movie is fun to watch uh, without ever having seen it or knowing what the story's about or knowing much of anything. My favorite is when those guys say the movie no one asked for. As though they need to, like, Lucasfilm is not allowed to go into production on a Star Wars movie unless they have an engraved invitation from Angry Joe, the YouTube yeah. guy. And what what's also funny about that is the idea that um, you have to have a petition to get Lucasfilm to know what it is you want when it's fairly obvious uh, just by looking at Twitter, looking at Facebook, looking at YouTube, uh, hell, watching the, the Director and the Jedi video that there is probably no other film studio, uh, maybe Marvel, that is as crystal clear aware of what its fandom is currently tearing itself apart over than Lucasfilm. They're in here with us. They are inside the stew with us. They know absolutely. They can tell down to the screen name where an idea originated from and got popularized from 
They were there. They saw it grow, bubble up, and then boil over the top of the pot. Um, and if hearing that causes you to go, oh, wow, that means someone at Lucasfilm, someone high up, could have been reading off my tweet at a meeting and laughing at how insipid it was. Um, yeah, think about that. Because they probably did. Like, fandom is not this weird closed bubble that nobody can see into. When you show your ass on Twitter, you are showing your ass. <laughs> People can see you. People can see those buttocks. Um, it's not like this little quiet thing off in a corner that nobody's going to notice. Lucasfilm knows. Lucasfilm saw you. <laughs> oh, I, I think that's the thing, too. Like, Lucasfilm is... They're very entrenched as part of Star Wars Twitter, and they listen to podcasts, and they they watch these YouTube videos. They know what it is fans want, you know? I, one of my favorite things, actually, was Tom Holer, who, uh, Darth Internus on Twitter, when the foofara over Chuck Wendig's books was going on, he went through and actually did, like, a point-by-point breakdown of who it was that was complaining about the book, whether that and, and reviewing it poorly on Amazon. When you actually removed all those reviews from that very vocal minority of people who were disaffected, like, the reviews for the Aftermath books were great. Yeah, and it's the same thing that happened with Last Jedi, yeah. He went through and read them and quantified them and created data for them personally like they see what you're saying about their books and their movies and tom is doing the work that a lot of these disingenuous writers um and video producers are absolutely relying on people to not do the only reason that that guy at at forbes can make 50 to 60 dollars per article on angry clicks the only reason that angry joe has the subscribers he's got the only reason that jar jar abrams has like a mild following on reddit from all the angry people people who are also part-time bring back legends uh, malcontents the only reason they have those audiences is because they absolutely rely on people not having the wherewithal the time or the energy to go through and basically fact check all of these outlandish alex jones-esque claims this is the dark ugly disgusting secret about the way all of us use social media there's nothing in it for us to know what we're talking about because that's not what we get rewarded for we get our retail tweets, we get our hearts, uh, and we get our quotes for our reactions. And you don't need to know anything in order to react to something. I don't know, Bobby. I, like, I feel like the only reason I have a following is because I, I know something. Yeah, but you're, you're a rare case and, not to be too cold water on it, but like as wonderful as your following is, as huge as it's grown because you've basically become one of the go-to guys to, to read when it comes to why characters act the way they do, uh, you know, why storylines play out the way they do, you are unfortunately dwarfed by some of the worst actors in media. Those people are just harvesting apathy turning it into cash and contributing nothing to the larger discussion. And they're absolutely detracting from any knowledge base that people could be using to critically think about the links that they're clicking and sharing without ever even reading. I want to ask Holly this. Yes. Because because Holly is easily the smartest person on this podcast and probably should have the loudest voice. I don't agree, but keep talking. But I, I do have some things to say about ad-driven media. Because you are probably in one of the best positions to speak on this whole phenomenon and also to speak on critical thinking in general. Um, and I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about both those things. So talk to me about the ad-driven media. Let's go. There's like a, a three-part harmony that plays into this whole thing, right? There is 
at the apex of the whole thing, driving it, is the fact that the internet is monetized in every way imaginable. So, like, when you say that writers are getting paid more for click-throughs to other articles, even if they're all garbage, that's because advertisers say, oh... They'll either do stickiness like they used to do that, uh, where it was like how much time anyone spent on the site. And that would drive like the rate that advertisers would have to pay any given media outlet. Uh, Or they will do like pay per click where it's, hey, my ad is showing up on you're serving it dynamically on however many pages it takes for you to meet my order. And I will give you this much money for it. There's sometimes like a combination of the two, but basically like it's all driven by advertisers want all the eyeballs on all of their stuff all the time. And so that's why one, there is this whole weird gray area of integrity and morality that happens. Like I think initially a lot of these sites start out saying like, of course we want to do only like really good, solid, unbiased primary sourced journalism. But then at some point, because everyone else goes, oh, you can make money on the internet? Okay. Then everybody's competing for the same eyeballs, particularly if you're talking about like in the entertainment space. And then what starts to happen is that a lot of these media companies find themselves going, it turns out that we don't make as much money when we stick to that whole like, unbiased, clean journalism thing. And we got to keep the lights on and keep our people paid. So like there comes that gray area where they're like, well, maybe we could do a few clickbaity articles and that will like drive up engagement and our advertisers will be happy and we'll be able to pay everybody and it'll all be good. And, and that's like how that cycle starts, right? Because then it just drives more of that. Oh, you can make money. Do I'm going to make, you're doing clickbait. I'm going to do clickbait. So then that's like how that horrible, Katamari Damacy thing of like bad journalism happens. Right? I mean that's that's why we're like, ooh, this most this site usually doesn't do this, but it's starting to do it. That's part of the driver for most of these. I mean, I'm not sitting in Vulture's boardroom, but I guarantee there's an editor somewhere going we really got to get more clicks this month, right? More bad Star Wars takes. Now, more bad Star Wars takes. I need that and pictures of Spider-Man <laughs> on my desk. They don't care if you're clicking it out of love or hate. They do not care. Advertisers do not do a, a rundown of the mental state of who's clicking that stuff. They just want <laughs> eyes on their stuff. So there's that. And then what's happening from both the user end and the content makers end is one there's like this weird schadenfreude going on for a lot of people like they love even if they love star wars we always joke that like no one hates star wars like star wars fan there is that weird schadenfreude even if it's something you love of like feeling like you it's bobby referenced this earlier like feeling like you got a leg in on information that other people don't have and like you know something that this big company juggernaut wanted to keep secret they don't want you to know and that makes it more delicious it's like when your mom says when you're like a six-year-old you can't have cake for breakfast and all you can think about while you're looking at those eggs is cake it's the same thing like they just want that yummy delicious thing and then there is this thing going on just with brain science, right? Like when you get into that sort of schadenfreude cycle where you're like, yes, this 
company is great. I love this website. They keep feeding me all the garbage that I want. It's a dopamine hit. Like you're literally kind of getting high off of that like juicy rumor mill excitement. And then they have to up the ante because you develop a tolerance to it. TMZ? Yes. TMZ is a good example. But here's an example that I think maps almost exactly one to one with uh, this sort of garbage in garbage out aspect of fandom. It's sports talk radio. Oh, yeah. A lot of the more obnoxious sports fans, you know, pride themselves on being the best general manager in the armchair in their office. Part of the reason they listen to these windbags bloviating on 98.3 The Fan or whatever is because those windbags give them the sense of superiority that they want to feel over the people in the front office that they know they could do a better job than if only they had been given the opportunity to be where those rich fat cats are. That's what's been fueling sports talk radio for at least 25, 30 years. Like before, it used to kind of be like, well, you know, what's coach going to do? I think coach is going to do this. I can't wait to listen to the game broadcast this Sunday to find out if that's what coach did. Now it's essentially here's why I in the studio am a better general manager than the guy at our team. And this is why you listening are probably a better general manager than me. And then you and I are going to fight over this. And then you're going to talk to your office mate about how you shut me up. But you didn't. I hung up on you. And besides, I'm getting paid off all of those listens that we are selling to our advertisers. So I'm really the big winner here, but not really the big winner because I'm also frustrated at my station in life because I'm not the general manager that I've been criticizing for the last five years of my life that I really really want to be. Instead, I'm just a guy who talks Yang on sports radio and gets drunk and gets fired for lack of ratings, and I have to move to Poughkeepsie. I mean, why you gotta go after Poughkeepsie? (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure it's a very nice community. To a degree. I mean, that's kind of why Super Shadow pulled up stakes, right? Yeah. And what you're essentially seeing on YouTube, uh, and Holly just... perfectly explained uh, the machinations behind it. They're trying to be sports talk radio hosts. That's what their YouTube channels are. And there are voices of sanity. Like There are positive examples of it working, but as Holly just so very succinctly uh, explained, there's not enough in it for a lot of content providers to put in the effort to do it correctly when doing it poorly will get you just as much, if not more, uh, in revenue. I I wanted to ask Holly, uh, before we get onto the next story, um, how she learned to be a critical thinker like when it started to occur to her that uh digging into these stories and sort of trying to trace back the references when that became like a practice or was it a thing that you just instinctively knew how to do or did you train yourself to do it i think because i'm an information junkie there's an instinct level to it but when i got really good at it was when i became a copy editor because when you're copy editing Uh, any writer, even really good writers, like this is not to dog any writer, and particularly freelance writers, like you have to make sure, particularly if you're working for a bigger company, like I have, you have to represent that company. So you really have to be diligent about what's getting put on the screen or in print. And so you really want to follow up and make sure all of their sources are legit and that they're not just parroting garbage and so that just becomes habit after a while where you're like oh if i can click through the links in this article and i say oh oh dude you kind of took some stuff off wikipedia that's not really a valid source like then you start which is again not to dog wikipedia it's awesome but from a journalistic standpoint 
it's open to anyone to edit, so you can't really consider it a primary source. So yeah, you just start to be more careful about where you're finding things and what the value of those sources are. It starts to become like a pattern recognition, right? Like you pretty quickly get good at sussing out something seems a little dicey on this this link setup. How did you guys get a feeling for uh, knowing what actually has some worth behind it? A lot of the stuff that gets shared, like the people sharing it aren't sharing it in bad faith. Like they're sharing it because they're like, I went to an outside source like you asked me to. I saw this article. It had a very nice Photoshop banner at the front. It looked like 40,000 other people shared it. So it must be viable in some aspect. Why is that not good? How did you guys learn to suss out the good sources from the bad? researching them i guess that's the hard thing is like some of it's just hard work right it was like in debate uh in high school it would be like wait a second did you just say that article was written by william f buckley well here's the problem with that and you're using an opinion piece to bolster a factual argument and that's not the way this works and then you have to take into account his bias and you really just need to understand who those actors are and what their their biases are the line has blurred on those two things so much that people use editorial as ammunition for factual things. It's just, it's mind boggling. And the tricky thing is, right, there are times when an editorial piece is valid to use as a source because some editorial pieces are well-researched and they don't come in with bias. Uh, This will come up with me sometimes doing research on stuff for the history podcast. There are some editorials that are written by legit historians that have been working in the field in one way or another and even though it falls under editorial, they're still like known to be trustworthy and not to be dragging their personal desires to be validated into any discussion. And that, I think, is where it gets really tricky to teach someone that maybe isn't as familiar with discerning what is and is not legit in the editorial space kind of becomes like you really have to maybe Google around and see what that person's reputation is. But then even then you have to look at sources that you know aren't biased when they're talking about that person's reputation. I understand why it becomes a murky mess and people are like, this kind of feeds what I was thinking anyway. I'm going for it. Like, I totally understand that impulse. But it's also why we are in this murk of just bizarre non-news. Take into consideration when the news came out as well, the people who really didn't like The Last Jedi keep trotting out these quotes of Mark Hamill's about how he disagreed with what Ryan Johnson, what direction Ryan Johnson had taken Luke. And he since changed that story after the film came out because he admitted that he needed to see the film and see how it worked, and he didn't understand how it was working, but that when when he saw it, it worked beautifully, you know? But continuing to use... Mark Hamill from before the movie came out versus after is disingenuous. And you need to pay attention to things like that. That was one of the things that knocked the the Vulture article uh, into oblivion. There were quotes from this unnamed actor. And he said something along the lines of, they really want Solo to, to land because uh, The Last Jedi uh, underperformed financially. Which is like 15 different sorts of wrong in just that small collection of syllables. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> the direct, <laughs> the directors got fired six months before The Last Jedi even opened. First of all, the suggestion that they only want the film to be good because The Last Jedi only made $620 million domestically doesn't make any sense on the face of it because they just want films to be good Period. There is nobody at Lucasfilm in charge of spending $200 million on a movie for that movie 
to not be good. Everyone involved from day one, minute one, millisecond, 0.000001 wants the movie they're about to make to be good. You don't need to have a previous movie put quotes around underperform. Underperform before you want a good... (laughs) Sixth highest grossing film of all time. Underperformed. Seventh. Seventh, yeah, 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 seventh. <laughs> I made the same mistake, but that's because Black Panther just is running too goddamn fast. Um, right. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing is, though, if they were worried about underperformance of Last Jedi and firing Lord and Miller because of that, wouldn't Ryan Johnson have been the one who didn't get the contract for Exa- trilogy? See, there's critical thinking that you don't even have to spend a lot of time on. Like Holly said, I can sort of understand why someone, when faced with the idea of... Am I really only doing this because I want to get three more thumbs up on this Facebook thread? And <laughs> someone abandoning the amount of research they would have to do to judge whether or not this story that they want to be true is actually true. I don't agree with it, but I get it. Something like that, you can pick apart in less than 10 seconds if you just carefully read the sentence and think about when all of this stuff happened there is no way that they're worried about han solo being a good film because of the last jedi because solo predates it solo predates lawrence kasdan working on force awakens yes like that's i think that's a better indicator that they're fine with last jedi and i don't want to say they don't care about the minor bit of fan backlash they do, but there's a there's a wider perspective to it, and that's one of the other uh, aspects I want to bring up when we're talking about uh, this this media literacy episode of Full of Sith is the wider perspective. I sort of touched on it uh, when I mentioned that uh, the people at Lucasfilm can see you online, even if you've got an alias and an anime avatar on your Twitter account, um, they can still see you. Your words are being read, uh, and there's a responsibility to that, that whether or not you want to acknowledge it or not, is actually there. And that's part of the larger perspective. And I think a lot of times, because people in fandom choose to believe that fandom really is its own isolated island somewhere that is separate from the larger society that it actually occupies but the larger perspective doesn't get applied people like to believe that lucasfilm is constantly running black bag operations with theories and rumors that are leaking out and they're secretly behind it and they're like these svengalis pulling the strings on all sorts of different uh, aspects of fandom culture i mean that's absolutely 100 not true that's that's not how it works You lose perspective when you try to shrink everything down into this weird fantasy land full of wrestling-style narratives for why your films don't work the way you want them to work. And you have to apply that larger perspective. You know, these are just movies. The people who are making them are, are writers and people. The directors making them are people. And you have more in common with all of these people who are under all this tremendous pressure than you think you do because the way that you act at work when things get hectic, uh, the way that you feel at work when someone has stolen your lunch out of the fridge uh, and eaten it. like <laughs> Or throw, just thrown it away. Yeah, or just, <laughs> yeah, or just throw it away for no reason Shrimp whatsoever. Shrimp fried rice, man. Like, Who the hell? What? <laughs> Why would you do that? Cold-blooded. Like, those feelings are universal. 
you have had the same feeling some guy has had on a movie set. If you can sort of put yourself in those shoes and stop acting like it's this weird dynasty-esque soap opera at all times, it becomes a lot easier to sort of discern, you know, truth from narrative. It gets harder, I think, as we go into our next story. Uh, where this is just sort of this biofeedback <coughs> loop of a really sick snake eating its own tail. Uh, Holly, tell me if you've heard this one, that, that there's a rumor that Meryl Streep is replacing Carrie Fisher in episode nine. <sighs> oh, dear Lord and butter. I don't... <clears throat> right? This is exactly a feedback loop. Some people want this, and the heart wants what it wants, and I'm not here to judge your desires. But... Some people wanted this bad enough that they started a petition. Somehow, this <laughs> translated to, for some writers into a real world happening. Instead of somebody just saying, I want X, and everyone going, X is happening! I don't know why there's that leap betwixt the two, but there it is. You know, originally, there was only like 2,000 people that had signed that petition, in a world where Last Jedi does $620 million domestically, 2,000 people was all they could get on board to the Meryl Streep is uh, replacing Carrie Fisher bandwagon. But when those articles hit saying this rumor happened and then fans started a petition to make it happen, then the petition swelled. So it just creates this biofeedback of misinformation that petition was then willfully misinterpreted by a couple different people uh, in the enthusiast press as being a rumor. Like they basically conflated a petition with a rumor. They're two different things. The fact that a petition exists does not mean it is now a rumor. A rumor, um, and, and Alex over at Star Wars Explained, which who you've started working with, uh, Brian, Alex just put out a video sort of explaining that a rumor has to have a source speaking with some level of authority on something that you don't know about yet. A petition is the exact opposite of that. It's someone who has no idea what's going on, but would like for a thing to be real. And if you could listen to me and my 2000, 3000 friends, maybe you can make that real for us. That's the exact opposite of a rumor. Once they start reporting that there's a rumor and then they don't mention that the rumor is actually a petition, and they don't actually link to the petition, and then other sites see the headline and the photograph. And that's another problem, is that the people who write for these sites are no better at critical thinking than the people who are sharing the links. This counts at BuzzFeed, it counts at Complex, solely saw that a site named MovieWeb had put together a very nice graphic image in Photoshop, uh, had put together a headline and then had like 50,000 shares on a ticker next to it, which may or may not be fabricated. Just because something says it's been shared 50,000 times on a website doesn't mean that's actually happened. I used to know a guy in radio who decided he wanted to be a famous podcaster. And so he figured out a way to falsify the number of downloads Whoops. for each show. But he was so clumsy at it that every show had the same 46,200 downloads. Did that for three months. Um, and I'm not saying that MubiWeb is faking the number of shares, but simply looking for the share number and deciding that that's what makes your uh, link that you're about to share as well more valid, not how that works. Like the number of shares does not equal the validity. Um, sometimes something very valid is going to get a high number of shares, but it doesn't work the other way around. 
So you've got writers who are acting just as poorly as the uninformed readers who are providing them with the paychecks that they need to keep people uninformed, but angry enough that they'll want to keep clicking so that the advertisers are happy. And that's sort of how you get the feedback loop of someone seeing a story who had written a story about a story in which a rumor was confused for a petition. And those sorts of things happen at least twice every week in Star Wars. And if it happens twice or three times a week in Star Wars, think about how often it happens yeah. in the actual news. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> I, oh, yeah. And the news that you're trying to escape by reading Star Wars stories, uh, <laughs> which is you, you can't escape it. You, you literally cannot escape it because here's another aspect of this feedback loop. Um, the one that really frustrates me. Half the reason the legitimate news acts the way it does is because they saw how people were ingesting and regurgitating Star Wars news online in the early 90s and adopted that model. Yes! That's a whole other podcast. The entertainment press is full-on training wheels for the fake news epidemic that we're currently struggling under. Um, the fact that in 2018, there's an entire industry still dedicated to trying to sludge along in Harry Knowles' misshapen shadow fascinates me it's bewildering to me it's mind-boggling to me that a story about a petition became a rumor based on a petition became a, a petition that was based on the rumor that was actually based on a petition but you wouldn't know that because nobody cares to read like that happens because everyone wants to be ain't it cool news from 1998 and i don't know why you'd want that if you'd ever looked at harry Knowles in your life well and it all kind of goes back to what i was saying earlier right there's somebody going you can make money yeah. doing this <laughs> I mean, that's the bottom line, right? Like, I have had friends who are freelance writers get assignments from editors at various places that kind of say, like, they're not explicit, but they kind of hint, like, oh, you could make some stuff up if it supports your case. Like, that's happening in journalism. Um, and I only know because those friends who are writers sent it to me and went, I can't believe this is happening. I'm not taking this assignment. But it's out there, and there are people that take those assignments. So this this week is an interesting week, and it's I guess it makes sense that um, the culmination of all this is happening basically on April Fool's Day. It's a teachable moment. You need to be more discerning about what you what you listen to, uh, and there's probably going to be some smartass when this gets posted that says I am going to be more discerning and I'm going to stop listening to your show. And I mean that's that's perfectly fine. But like being discerning is one of the most valuable skills you can have if you want to actually be in and enjoy yourself in these conversations. Like knowing which sources to not pay attention to, knowing which voices you need to keep quiet is going to absolutely increase your level of enjoyment Un unless you actively are seeking out uh, sort of easy empty reinforcement for the beliefs that you've already come to without ever having learned anything about it um, and th that that's I'm, I'm not going to say that's valid but it's absolutely happening uh, and there are plenty of places out there that would love to cater to your confirmation bias um, and I would just hope that uh, you guys listening value knowing things more than feeling right. So let me throw this out there. And Bobby, you don't have to, like, if you'd like to sign up for this as well, do so. But I am making myself available via Twitter. You can follow me at Swankmatron. If you have a question about the veracity of a Star Wars story that you've read, tweet it to me. I'll do the work for you. 
<laughs> like I and I'll break down what it is. I don't know, Bobby. I mean, you're doing the Lord's work on this anyway, without any, you know, unbidden. I know. Well, and it's not. It's not a great. <laughs> I don't know if I feel all the way good about basically volunteering to be the internet's ombudsman. Um, that's not a role that anyone wants. Just for Star Wars. Just uh, for yeah, Star Wars. Yeah, but still, though, like, that's a thing to keep in mind for myself as well, is like, nobody really needs yet another beardy, hobbity white dude coming in and well-actualing the rest <laughs> of the world on why the story they want to believe is maybe not the story they should believe. I've stepped on that landmine a couple times. I don't have that much leg to begin with, so to constantly keep blowing them off at the kneecaps is a thing I need to maybe slow down on. But... <laughs> <laughs> On the other hand, I mean, I'm not really shooting fish in a barrel here. I'm shooting sharks in a dog dish when it comes to stuff like that vulture story and this petition. And so, yeah, uh, tweet at Brian uh, and I, I and, and I will try. I'll talk to yeah, Bobby. Exactly. It'll get to me eventually. If something is as weird and as bad and as backwards as the set of stories we've gotten in the last two weeks, uh, stories that have made poor Alex, who did his... Uh, The Last Week in Clickbait, the new show that's a blatant ripoff of John Oliver's Last Week Tonight because I can't think of a better format to cover something as ludicrous as this. He didn't mean for it to be a series. I think he just meant for it to be a one-off. And now he's sort of uh, like wringing his hands like, am I going to have to do one of these every week because this is just the sort of nature of our industry? Uh, <laughs> and... It's scary. It's a scary, weird place we're in where you get rewarded for sharing things without having read them. And you get rewarded for not really reading a thing, but agreeing with it. Um, and we are in the position that we are in, both politically and as a fandom, because we don't think a lot before we react and there's no reason to think before you react because you get rewarded for it anyway um i just feel like in the run-up to solo this is gonna get worse instead of better there have been enough valid stories like the change in directors and blah 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 that it kind of seeds the rumor mill a little bit and so i would just encourage people to remember <laughs> all of these things we've talked about and maybe don't take everything at face value Think about whether it makes sense or not, and then proceed with your life. And maybe you just love industry gossip, and that's fine. Like I said, I'm not here to judge anybody's desires, but, you know, just think about maybe, like, the things you like to gossip about might not be factually accurate. So, Bobby. Yes. Switching gears a little bit. Mm -hmm. I'd be remiss if I didn't talk to you about this while we had you, but you had, you played a role you didn't even know about recently. Yeah! <laughs> Until recently influencing the creation of Rogue One. Oh, that was weird as hell. Uh, yeah, Gary Whitta, when he was writing his first drafts of Rogue One, was listening to Geek Remixed, apparently. I had no idea. I knew, he had tweeted at me, uh, like I think in the run-up to Geek Remixed, that he had listened to my stuff before. Uh, and I had just figured that before meant, you know, in the last few months or something. I had released that uh, remix I did, uh, This is a Rebellion, based on the, the trailer to Rogue One. Witta found it, and I'm calling him Witta like we're... We're like, you know, on the same football team. I don't know why I did that. You're totes BFS. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so Mr. Witta 
said, yeah, no, I listened to that, and I listened to some of your other stuff, and I didn't realize that what he had actually meant was uh, he was writing Rogue One to Geek Remixed every now and again. I didn't know that. So his first drafts of the Battle of Edu were written to my remixes of uh, Made You Look by Nas using the Kill Bill music. They shooting. Oh, I made you look. You were slave to a page in my rhyme book. Getting big money, play boy, your time's up. Where them gangsters, where them dimes at? They shooting. So, yeah, when he was writing, you know, Jin mowing down stormtroopers and, and X wings and Y wings bombing the installation there, he was hearing that. Like, that's nuts to me. I had no idea. So, uh, yeah, the the Star Wars movie that actually came out on my birthday ended up being partially written in some way to some music that I made back in 2003. They see you. Yeah. They see you. <laughs> that, see, they see you. You don't know that they see you. You think there's no possible way whatsoever they can see you. They know you're there. Keep that in mind. I'm sure you're getting cards written up that say, like, Bobby Robert, Majestic Unicorn. <laughs> No, 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 that's not. No? That. Now I know what Maybe I could get you for Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was interesting to watch that scene and, and know that at some point in its gestation, one of the Geek Remix albums was playing. But like, that's crazy to me. So uh, I would like you, Bobby, if you could tell people where to find that and where to find you. Okay, uh, you can find me uh, at Bobby Roberts PDX on Twitter. That's probably the best place to find me. And if you want to listen to the Geek Remixed albums, uh, you can just go to geekremix.com. That'll take you to my Bandcamp page um, where you can listen to them to your heart's content. And if you want to download them, you can even download them there for free. And please download them for free. I know Bandcamp can give you the option to kick down money. Uh, Don't do that. I'll just refund it, partially because I don't think this should be a thing that I make money at and mostly because legally this is not a thing I can make money at and I do not want to be sued so <laughs> so uh, yeah just listen to it for free download it for free uh, share it around for free write a Star Wars movie to it for free I just want you to listen to it and enjoy it if that's the way that you are moved to feel geekremix.com that's where that stuff is and Holly, where can people find you? Right here. Um, that's the lamest joke. I do it all the time. I'm sorry. I apologize. <laughs> I, I feel I- shame. I am on Twitter as Surliest Girl, and I'm on Instagram as SurlyGirly5, uh, and I do a history podcast called Stuff You Missed in History Class, which is at MissedInHistory.com, and that is also our handle across all of social media. And then you and I do a fake history show called Fothentic History. We do. Uh, you can find that at FothenticHistory.com. It's a lot of fun. We're we're doing Star Wars episodes every other episode. So if you dig Star Wars and history that's fake, there you go. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Swankmatron. And you can find my writing uh, all over the place, actually. I'm doing a Movies That Made Star Wars series for Slash Film. Uh, I'm doing a video podcast series, if you heard from the last show, uh, in concert with, with Alex from Star Wars Explained. I'm doing a weekly roundup of news for sci-fi all kinds of stuff but you can find all of that mainly on on twitter at swankmatron and i will direct you in the right direction for that if you like what you hear i mean even if you don't like what you hear because i i see some of those too uh feel free to review our show on itunes or stitcher or wherever else you listen to it if you like it 
pass the word on and and pass the word on any of the Star Wars podcasts you listen to that you found to be reliable. People will listen to the shows that boil the news down in an appropriate manner more if they're recommended by other people. Uh, so we could drown out the Mike Zeros of the world and the Angry Joes. So uh, unless either of you have anything else you wanted to say? Nope, I'm good. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thank you for coming, Bobby. Aw. It's always our pleasure. Like, I don't even care if everybody else hates it. I like having you on, and that's really the re- all well, the reason there in, is In keeping it. with my uh, my words on perspective earlier, you should probably care a little bit if everyone hates it. Like, that's... But... Here's the thing, though, Bobby. I podcast so I can talk about Star Wars with people I like talking Star Wars with. I would never just say, like, hey, Bobby, I love talking Star Wars with you, but people are complaining about you, so we're not going to talk Star Wars with you anymore. That's, no. Also, just selfishly, you have a really Um. validating laugh, so I enjoy that. (laughs) See, there you go. (laughs) I didn't mean to. I was trying, in the middle of the laugh, I was like, oh, God, how do I modulate this so it doesn't sound like, like I'm just giving... But then I, I'm, I don't, thank you. Thank you guys are way too nice to me and, uh, and I appreciate it. And I, I'm, I'm working on, uh, accepting compliments better and not, you know, just sort of deflating them because that's ultimately rude to the person who is giving a part of themselves to you politely, you know, because they honestly believe the complimentary thing they're saying about you. So thank you guys very, very much for, um, giving a damn about me. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. For Mike Pilot, who couldn't be here with us tonight. Uh, for the redoubtable Bobby Roberts and Holly Fry, I'm Brian Young, and the Force will be with you always. Always.